Well, I told somebody, they said, look, I'm looking forward to hearing you. I said, well, it's going to be different today. Um, when I started thinking about Christmas Eve, and of course, we'd made a decision weeks ago that we would have a service this morning for those who were in town or what, whatever. And uh, I started thinking about what to do. And my first thought was just to get up here with my guitar and sing. And, uh, and then I remembered we got professionals. So I left my guitar at home. Um, and then I remembered that in 2014, 15, 16, and 17, I wrote each December of those years, I wrote a Kernels of Truth about a Christmas carol. And, um, and so that's four. We're only going to cover three today. And what I want to do is just to and, and I'll just give you, uh, in full disclosure, a lot of what you're going to be hearing today is me reading excerpts from those kernels of truth. I, can I quote myself? Is that plagiarism if I quote myself? Uh, dealing with a s- small history of the song, but also the biblical truths that are found in these carols. Uh, because those who were writing them had a desire to communicate truth. We sing these songs every year. We probably would have sung them today if I wasn't already going to sing them. And so I'm going to go over you know, a, a song, and we're going to begin with Silent Night. And, um, and then I'm going to make an attempt at singing it to you. So you just bear with that. Uh, again, these are professionals. I am not. Um, while we associate the Christmas season with a busy and boisterous time, the first Christmas day was anything but. A young priest by the name of Joseph Moore took his pen in 1816 and drafted the lyrics to, I need Rob to help me with this one, Stila Nacht. S-T-I-L-L-E-N-A-C-H-T, which we know today as Silent Night. Uh, he, he approached a, a guy by the name of Frank Gruber. Oh, by the way, anyway, he approached a guy by the name of Frank Gruber, and he said, uh, hey, our organ, the flood has destroyed our organ. Could you create a guitar tune to these lyrics? And that's how this song came to be. And that night... They had a service in their church with, with a guitar only, like kind of like what we're doing. And, uh, and for the first time, this song was sung. It was a silent night in terms of making a grand impact on the surrounding world and even the community of Bethlehem. In many ways, the birth of Christ may have seemed small and insignificant. We now know, having the advantage of looking back into history, that this day was the most significant day in the lives of the entire human race. It is proof positive that often, if not always, God the Father uses the small things to make large impact. We look at the vehicle that he chose. Mary was a young girl from a poor family. Neither would seem as likely traits one might look for in the mother of our Lord. And yet... The angel Gabriel hailed her with this salutation 
Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. All the circumstances, including the fact that she wasn't yet married, are certainly different, if not opposite, of what we might have chosen. But then, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. There was no grand announcement. There was no public herald in the streets. It was a silent night like all the rest, with the exception that in this little town was a man and his unlikely fiancée from a poor family who was carrying the very Son of God, who was also the Son of Man. The Father didn't dispatch the angels to the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, nor the sitting king of the day, Herod. The rabbis and the priests were completely oblivious to the happenings in this small hamlet in Judah. There were some lowly shepherds in the field tending their flocks of sheep. And to these, God saw fit to make this grand announcement of the birth of the Messiah. God does things the way it pleases him. Grandiose and full of flair are not necessarily God's modus operandi. It was a silent night because of the lack of fanfare and the noise of announcement. It was a holy night due to the fact this was the night that delivered to us our king. This special night in the annals of history would go down as the holiest of nights. One version of Silent Night, and there are, you look it up, there are a lot of different versions of this song, has this line, brought the world peace tonight from the heaven's golden height. And on this day each year, in the days preceding, the whole world pauses. Sean alluded to this a week or two ago. And offers worship to the Savior of the world, if in no other way than the singing of carols. Jesus wasn't born so that we might have a joyful time of year with all the Christmas trappings we've all come to enjoy. Those are all nice. But Micah, the prophet Micah, continues by identifying the bottom line in the coming of the sun into the earth to assume the cloak of humanity when he wrote, The remnant of his brethren shall return. The returning of God's people to the Father through the Son is the real reason for Christmas. Another aspect of the returning people of God being in the midst of many people groups is that they are described in the scripture as dew from the Lord. Dew makes no noise. It just settles upon that which is in its path. I think we need to be reminded of the impact that dew made without all the fanfare. Again, silent night. God's kingdom doesn't need to have the largest billboard or be on the front page of the local newspaper. God's kingdom is like the dew which waters the earth with nutrients and life without calling any attention to itself. And this is exactly how the sun entered this world and history cannot find anyone who made a greater impact on the world than the one born in that manger in the town of Bethlehem. Author and ordained minister Adam McHugh wrote 
these very apropos words concerning the entry of Jesus into the earth. He wrote, in contrast to the dizzying nature of our cultural celebrations, the biblical narratives about Jesus' birth speak in hushed tones about simple, unsophisticated scenes. The baby of prophecy, the king of kings, is born in a quiet town in an inconsequential region to unremarkable people and placed in a trough in a barn. Yet, by the grace of God, this spot becomes the center of the universe, the matrix of hope and redemption and salvation. The quiet, ordinary place becomes the beginning of the dramatic climax of the great story. The birth of Jesus incarnates the promise that we are not alone and that we are loved beyond measure, recipients of a love that brings peace and stillness to our souls. This is the Christmas story, which is set in an unlikely place with unlikely people as the main characters. Thank you. 
I'm going to stop right there because I got the wrong lyrics. Uh, the second song that I want to do is uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and I alluded to it in this first one. Um, by the way, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was often, and maybe even today, we sing we sing uh, lyrics to these carols, and we don't pay attention to them because we, we know them so well. And some of these, the fourth one that I'm not going to do today is O Holy Night. I mean, all of these are are uh, complete with good biblical truth. In 1865, Phillips Brooks, the rector of the Church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia, was fortunate to visit the town of Bethlehem. He was struck by its charm, and in his words, it is a good-looking town, better built than any other we have seen in Palestine. He returned from his vacation in 1866, and we understand from his brother Arthur that it wasn't until 1868 that he ultimately penned the words that we sing today. Bethlehem, as I said earlier, is a most unlikely place for the birth of our king, as human thinking might determine. But if there's one thing we understand about our father, it is that he almost never operates the way we think. He might or should. Remember when I wrote these words, they were a year after the ones I read to you earlier. Bethlehem is the home of Naomi, Boaz, David, the burial place of Rachel, Jacob's wife. And yet it is still described in Scripture as insignificant and seemingly unimportant. Micah speaks over Bethlehem and proclaims, You who are little or too little, to be included among the clans of Judah. So lowly was Bethlehem that it was not counted among the possessions of Judah. Bethlehem could never have been a considerable place, and yet here we are bringing attention to this little town. The prophet continues speaking as the oracle of God, Out of you shall come forth to me the one out of Bethlehem. Of all the cities upon the earth, great cities of population and commerce, God the Father chooses this little settlement in which the greatest event in human history would occur. Albert Barnes offers this observation. Prophecy ceased soon after the return from the captivity and many tokens of the nearness of God and, and means of his communications with them, the ark, the Urim, and the Thummim, were gone. It was a time of pause and waiting, wherein the fullness of God's gifts was withdrawn, that they might look on to him who was to come. It is the darkness that causes us to seek the light, and the absence of the nearness of God will certainly drive us to him. Micah continues to, to use the things that weren't going to improve until he continued to us that things weren't going to improve until she, this is a quote, she who is in labor will give birth. Our lot certainly improved when Mary gave birth to the Savior. Micah continues with these comforting words, he shall stand and shepherd his flock. Not only was he going to become our substitute in the cosmic court of the Father, 
He would also be the one who walks with us as our shepherd. We were definitely like sheep without a shepherd until the good shepherd was born to that young maiden in the little town of Bethlehem. This majestic king with strength from the throne of God stands and watches over us, leading and guiding us along the way. Another interesting thing about Bethlehem is the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So this small, insignificant town called the house of bread delivers to us the bread of life. There are no accidents with God. And his plan unfolds exactly as he has planned it. It is certainly by sovereign design that the bread of life is birthed in the house of bread. This shepherd of our souls is also the sustainer, the provider of the sustenance that we require. Fast forward approximately 700 years and we find the current emperor, Caesar Augustus, issuing an edict that all should return to their hometown to be properly counted in the census. The circumstances of the day determined that Jesus, I'm sorry, Joseph, and therefore, well, Jesus was there too, and therefore Mary, who was with child, should travel to Bethlehem to participate in the census. I wonder if either of them remembered the words of Micah as they drew closer to that miniature town. We have the fortune now to look back through history and see the hand of God in all the proceedings that resulted in this twosome arriving in Bethlehem. The final lines of verse 2 of this great hymn proclaim, While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. Verse 3 says, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. History will be forever altered and humanity would now be transformed by the Holy Spirit because of this event foretold by a minor prophet about a minor town. What does this mean to us besides the obvious idea of Bethlehem bringing us the Savior for the ages? Much like the little town of Bethlehem, we are all incubators of the Lord Jesus having been commissioned to continue what he began on the earth as his body serving the kingdom. In the grand scheme of history and the plight of humanity, most of us probably feel inadequate and incapable of making much of a difference on the world around us. In God's sovereign plan, he chose the smallest of towns for the king of all ages to be born. So I proclaim to you to all of you that you are human Bethlehems. You may seem small to yourself, but you are not insignificant or incapable. You only need to be available. Put on your Bethlehem badge and I can't resist. Go out there and act like somebody. (laughs) The rest of the world was completely unaware with possible exceptions of Simeon and Anna of the goings-on in that small village that night. As I said earlier, there was no great announcement. It was not posted on Facebook. 
It was truly in many ways a solid event. Let's make ourselves available to the Lord of the harvest, much like that little town did that faithful night long ago. Don't disregard your small encounters throughout your day and week. Do not assume what you do and say is not important. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, even though you are the smallest of small towns, from within your gates came to us the greatest gift of all, the light of the ages, the embodiment of good news, the good shepherd of the sheep, the savior of the world, and the Lord of all. Oh, come to us, abide. 
One more. Hark the herald angels sing. It's an interesting song written by Charles Wesley. Of course, Charles Wesley was probably one of the greatest hymn writers to ever write songs. Wesley actually wrote this hymn in 1739. When he wrote it, the opening line of this song, he wrote it this way, Hark how the welkin rings. And we use welkin every day in our vernacular. You know that. Welkin is really just an old term for heavens. And so, hark how all the heavens ring, which is pretty good. His co-worker in 1745, George Whitfield, a great evangelist himself, rewrote the opening line to what we sing today, hark the herald angels sing. Not only was Charles Wesley and John Wesley probably not aware that that happened, most likely they would not have liked it. (laughs) Especially John Wesley was real persnickety about people rewriting lyrics, and I am too. But anyway, this one got through. So what we have with the rewriting of this hymn, what we have is a change from observing the heavens glorifying the newborn king, how the welkin rings, to humanity joining the angelic praise, from overhearing the angels to raising our own hallelujah. Both are good, but aren't you glad we get to participate? Mm -hmm. This hymn contains valuable and eternally significant truth, as much of these carols do. I mean, I've joked often a lot of the songs written in those days, if you couldn't find a Bible, you could grab these songs and you'd find biblical truth to preach. In many ways, when Christ was born, the world was in turmoil. The Roman government was lording it over the Jewish people. Many of the rulers of the day, even the Jewish ones, were corrupt and vile. Darkness was certainly the order of the day, with the world under the curse of sin from Adam and God having been virtually silent for 400 years. Into this morass appeared angels from heaven singing glory to the newborn king. The angels were declaring that history was about to change and the condition of humanity would now have hope for a future. The message of the hymn states, peace on earth and mercy mild. Mercy mild is another one of those terms we use a lot. And it's it's not a term we would normally use, but it's the best understanding is that it would to be, have compassionate mercy on someone. Mercy, which is motivated by compassion, is not something that God does. It's who he is. It is his very nature to extend mercy to us in our time of need. The words of the hymn continue, God and sinners reconciled. What truth? I mean, my goodness. He would be the bridge that would provide access for humanity to the throne of God with boldness. Because of Christmas, we now have peace with God and have been reconciled to him, having been estranged formerly by the calamity of sin. The message of this hymn calls us to join the chorus of joy resulting from this great news. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. 
All of heaven rejoices at the birth of our Lord because of the joy it would bring to humankind. He continues in the song, Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Behold our king coming to earth through the womb of a virgin. It was vitally important that Jesus be born of a woman who had not had any relations with a man so he could be fully God and fully man. He was fully God because Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Most High through the work of the Holy Spirit and received the seed from God, and he was fully man because Mary was completely human. So the song continues, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man, listen to this line, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God himself stepped out of eternity into the realm of humanity as one of us. Yes, he was veiled in flesh and therefore many could not see that he was very God. God Almighty who has come to earth in the flesh was pleased as man to dwell with man. So Jesus did not... Just send a repair angel or instructions on how to fix the world. He came himself, and he was the fix. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers from Hebrews in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again in Hebrews, since the children share in flesh and blood humanity, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, through his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. His humanity gave him the right to render the enemy of our soul powerless. We couldn't do that because we are sinful creatures. And when he became a man, he did not abdicate his deity and was therefore simultaneously God and man. With the completeness of this plan, Jesus was able to be our substitute and sacrifice, thus becoming our Savior. No wonder Charles Wesley was inspired to write, Hark how heaven makes a loud noise. The final verse penned by Wesley proclaims light and life to all he brings. Jesus told the woman at the well that if she would drink of the living water that he provides, she would never thirst again. Christmas was the advent of real life and real light coming into the world. Remember, John opens his gospel with, In him was life, and the light was the light of men. Song continues, Risen with healing in his wings. This covers all aspects of healing. I think Wesley had in mind the condition of the human race due to the destruction of sin. As a race of people, we certainly needed and still need healing from the darkness, hopelessness, and yes, even diseases that resulted from the sin of the human race. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Because of Christmas morning, we will not die, but just receive a transfer from one dwelling place to an eternal and immortal one. My pastor, when I was a teen, used to say, if you're born once, you will die twice. But if you're born twice, you will only die once. 
The message of Christmas is intended to bring us to a place of being born from above by the Spirit of God and to raise us up as children of the earth. thank you that you have for ages anointed and gifted songwriters to bring us material as we've looked at today inherent with biblical truth we pray that the truths of these songs and others like them others we've sang today that they would go with us even beyond the christmas season that the truth would have impact on our lives we thank you for the joy they bring We thank you for the peace they communicate. We thank you more than anything else, Lord Jesus, that you did disrupt time and step out of heaven and break the silence of 400 years by coming to earth as a child. So we worship you today. We say glory to your name. And we do say 
Hark the herald angels sing, and we join with those angels in doing so. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I mean, you may be dismissed. Or you can be seated either one. I'm done.